Welcome to Last Ones at the Bar, the podcast where we devote an hour or so to discuss the sweet science. My name is William Henry, and I'm joined by Daniel Lee. And returning to our efforts this week is Lavelle Jackson. How you feeling today, folks? I'm feeling good. I know I was out last week. I heard the episode last week. Great episode. Uh, all y'all did a great job. Ty was a great uh, guest. Yeah, man, it was good for me. I told you guys I was, this is my recovery day. I was training hard this week, so it was pretty good. I can't complain. Work was, work was fine. Yeah, man, I don't know, brother. Like, this was one of the first five-day weeks that I had in a lengthy period of time. And Thursday, man, I, I get home. I didn't eat anything. I, I can't remember. I did something. I, no, I went to the store. So I went to the store, go to Trader Joe's, come back. And I said, man, don't take me a little nap. Man, next thing I know, that little nap was like five hours later. I was watching Thursday night football. The second half was on. I wasn't even hungry or anything like that. It just, it felt like, well, it was five hours of sleep, but I'm talking about, I was just dog tired. And then that kind of extended into the weekend. Even the fight card that took place yesterday, by the time it came on, like, I was taking naps in between the fights, you know. I don't know, man. Maybe I'm just getting a little old, a little longer than two. You know what I'm saying? And then today I get up, right? So, you know, I run a few errands early in the morning. And so I go to this the parking garage. When I get in there, even before I get to the parking garage, I go to the elevator. And this little dog, Jesse, the owner was like, Jesse, don't do that. So Jesse all on my Air Force, I mean, my Air Max. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's just hopping around. But he a cute little dog, so I can't really get mad. He one of the, I don't know what he is, but he like one of those small dogs that's real furry and curly hair and stuff like that. So then we get up to the parking lot. I'm going to my car. The owner is trying to get his attention because Jesse keep approaching me. So the owner is running towards his car. Jesse is following him, at, you know, at first, and then somehow, some way, he takes a left turn underneath all them cars. He come back to me. I got the door open, and I'm just trying to figure out is, you know, is the guy going to get the dog? Because I don't want to take off and he's either underneath my car or running over or something like that. So I'm just waiting. I got the door open, just looking around. Next thing I know, out of nowhere, Jesse jumps in my car. He gets in the passenger seat. And so I'm like, damn, little Jesse kind of got a little Bam Rodriguez up in him, the little movement that he got, the little angle that he took to get up there. <laughs> so, you know, that's how my weekend has it's been so far. But um, first thing we want to discuss, you know, I'm glad you fellas had a good week is a couple of days ago, man, you had uh, credible sources. They stated that a much anticipated mega fight between Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford has been agreed upon for November 19th in Las Vegas, Sin City. Um, are you fellas excited about hearing that news? When the news first broke, I mean, I was outside a conference at work. It's funny because I almost choked on my water and fell out the chair. <laughs> so I was like, uh, I had to get back to this later. Man. And I was, you know, I was waiting couple hours to the next break to go check and see if it was true so you know i looked into it uh it said that both parties they agreed to felt to the conditions of the, of the fight the one thing i was surprised about they gave me hope is that they actually have a date which is november 19th which is very telling the only thing that i, had, I was like ah, i'm not gonna get my hopes up is that uh the die line isn't signed yet and it's, it's interesting because we have to think about like in today's climate, we have so much access to information as far as the internet, uh, social media, and uh, uh, YouTube and podcasts and everything that comes with that. 
which and, and it had me thinking about how many fights back in the days used to get this close and then get signed and we don't know nothing about it like we wouldn't know you know uh, and that's why it's a bigger thing now but you know hopefully it gets worked out and it gets signed and and the room 19 is that date one the other interesting thing that i saw uh regarding the agreement is that uh both uh combatants they have a rematch clause so whoever no matter who wins this fight the loser can re has the the, the power to reenact that rematch clause and, so, and a lot of that's gonna be based off of how the winner wins the fight so it's controversial we obviously gonna see a rematch even if it's close we may see a rematch uh i think it's an 85 percent chance we'll probably see a rematch uh barring that no one gets stopped like in the first three rounds or something like that in, in a fight that isn't exciting like Hagler hearns so that part is is pretty positive is I, I expect the fight to be a classic and and uh and i expect there to be a rematch my excitement level is about the same as it was back in like may because i knew in my heart of hearts like all roads led to this once spence got that third championship there was nobody else for him to fight nobody wants to see him fight keith thurman at this point there's nobody else for bud to fight bud is a free agent so i knew all roads led to this. What will make me ultimately excited is when I get that email from Ticketmaster saying, yo, Daniel, we got these tickets ready for you. You know, go ahead and put that, that credit card information into the system. That's when I'll be excited. But um, I was pretty confident from jump that it was going to happen once Bud became a free agent. Um, it's not new to me, but, you know, we'll see what happens. But it is, to Vail's point, though, it is encouraging to see an actual date. You know, the saying is fool me once, shame on you. Now, fool me 17 times, shame on me. I think I've been fooled 17 times when it comes to this fight. I see people um, do little videos on YouTube. And we've been talking about this fight since we started the podcast. You know what I'm saying? And I won't get excited until I see. Well, there's two things that's going to really make me excited when it comes to the Errol Spence versus Terrence Bud Crawford fight. First, when I see it on box rec. When I see that, then it's, it's, it's more than likely to happen. And then the second time I'm going to be really excited is when they have press conferences. And then ultimately, I'll be excited when they touch gloves and the bell rings for the fight. I'm just a little skeptical, you know what I'm saying? Because it's November 19th is not that far away, you know what I'm saying? And a fight of this magnitude, you need you know, a couple months at least in order to build it, not necessarily build it, but, um, you know, allow people the opportunity to make plans and things like that. You know, it's just a huge event. Some people just want to be in Vegas just to be around amongst the festivities and things like that. So you need to um, plan it out in advance in order for it to blossom to the mega fight that is deservingly is, you know what I'm saying? So that's the only reason I'm going to skeptical and, and also based on um previous rumors and things like that but we'll see if the fight takes place well i'm just i'm not even concerned about a rematch at this point right now i just want them dudes to get in that ring and you know make the best man yeah yeah the, the thing about the date november 19th is I, I agree with you that they, they need time to really promote this fight and because this is a this is a bigger fight we know how big a fight this is, but the public don't know that. They don't. They may not know it as much as we do. Um, 
And that said, if this fight does not take place on November 19th, they're in a bad place because, you know, you have holidays, you have Thanksgiving, and you have, you know, the possible fight between Fury and Joshua, which is, you know, uh, um, they're, they're two really big stars. And uh, if this fight doesn't happen, if, if Errol Spence versus Terrence Crawford doesn't happen on November 19th, I don't see it happening until, because we know January is kind of a slow month in boxing. You know, we do until the end of January. So we probably won't see it until the end of February. So hopefully, hopefully, you know, knock on wood. Sir. Now, uh, you know, we can go ahead and get started there, fellas, man. For this episode, you know, you have the big fight out there in Vegas, man. You had the trilogy between what they said, two modern day legends, you know, and Canelo Alvarez, he took on Gennady Triple G, um, Golovkin last night. Uh, Bill, uh, what do you think? about what you saw yesterday in that trilogy matchup? It was kind of a, a more tactical and it was more of a letdown because for me, both fighters, and especially Triple G, both fighters could have did a lot more, especially considering, you know, what's being said about, you know, Triple G say fight Mexican style and Canelo Alvarez say he's going to knock Triple G out in the first round or stop him. That's what he's going for. And it didn't really play out that way. Uh, I saw that that Canelo Alvarez um, came in really, really strong. Like you can you can tell, like his presence alone was like, but Triple G was like, oh, I don't, I don't know. Golovkin was like, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this anymore. He had Alvarez had Golovkin really questioned himself during the fight, and even in the past fights, Golovkin had a lot of success with it, with his jab, and by Canelo Alvarez even countering that and trying to take that jab away from him, Golovkin pretty much was neutralized you know, pretty much most of the fight. And Canelo, knowing this, he pretty much just, he, he hit those accommodations here and there and throw that left hook. And, and it was interesting because even Alvarez, he didn't know him went to the body until probably the second half. And well, Glockman didn't go to the body at all really in this fight. And Alvarez really didn't go to the body till the second half, which I thought would have been key if he was going to stop uh, Gennady Golovkin. Uh, it was more so they were aiming for the head. And, and of course, Alvarez has a lot more speed. He's more sharper. He's younger and fresher. And Golovkin, pretty much, he's on a decline. He slowed down. He, sh he showed every bit of, you know, being 40. I'm not, I wasn't, I was unsure if Jonathan Banks was a good fit for him as a trainer. But I do, one thing I will say is I did agree with Jonathan Banks when he was giving him instructions mid in the fight. Like, look, this is it. Look, you're losing the fight. Just, go out there and I think Golovkin, he would have made a better case of himself if he did what I thought he was going to do and go out there and try to let this be his last stance and make that last stance and go out on a shield. Now we saw a little bit of glimpse of that around like maybe the eighth and ninth round, ninth round where Golovkin tried to make some stuff happen, but Alvarez just too sharp and neutralizing it that he pretty much shut Golovkin down uh, and Golovkin was able to, to, to finish the fight. Uh, now, Alvarez, he improves to 58, 2 and 2 with 39 KOs. Gennady Golovkin drops to 42, 2 and 1 with 37 uh, knockouts. I didn't really like the scoring in this fight either. I mean, I think they would give Golovkin a lot more credit. I had Golovkin winning uh, two rounds. Uh, mainly, I think it was maybe maybe the, the ninth round and maybe the 11th round. I thought there was rounds that he, he pretty much may have won. Um, but maybe that was payback for, you know, the first fight when, you know, one judge had Canelo winning 10 rounds on him. But 
I don't know. I didn't like the judge in this fight. And one other thing, I think even though Alvarez is really in his prime right now, I still think that he's slowing down a little bit when you look at this fight and even his last fight with Bilbao, that he's kind of slowing down a little bit. He's not, even though he's still strong and, and still fast and sharp, he's not the monster that he, you know, the same monster from just a year ago. Uh, and Golovkin, obviously, I mean, he's definitely in decline. Uh, he say he wants to fight on more. I think his toughness will still bring him through, but I think it's time to, to if you want to go out on the sunset, go out on the sunset. What toughness did he show? He wasn't doing anything. This man is, is, is one of the most privileged guys in the sport, man. You know, and I think that the judging was attributed to the privilege that he's been getting throughout the years. I will give Gennady Golovkin credit for being somewhat avoided from around 2012 until around 2015. Whenever you start to fight the Dominic Wades and, and people like that, that's when they, they lifted the cover off. And people was like, no, nah, okay, you're supposed to be the most avoided. You're saying these type of things. And, you know, I, wanna, I want that fight. And then he wouldn't fight those guys. And he just continued to wait over and over for a Canelo fight, a Canelo payday. And even after the fight, he didn't seem like somebody who was willing to go out on their shield. He was just happy that the fact that he really didn't take the punishment that he could have taken in order to be like stopped or anything like that. But look, look at us, guys. We don't have any marks on our face. Dude, this is two high-level fighters. Man, you just got one, man. Anybody trying to get all that type of stuff. Don't try to divert what I saw. I saw this dude whoop on you for about 11, 10 rounds. And you wasn't doing anything. He stepped to you. Opening round, you know, he came after Triple G and he only took a break. I want to say like the eighth round where he had his back against the ropes. I mean, he can't just whoop on somebody who he does have an iron chin, you know, and you can't continue just to whoop on him without taking a break. You know what I mean? I was surprised that Mel only need that one break. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, he whooped on this dude, man. Um, and I think I attribute this to the fact that he's been fighting bones. That's what he's been doing throughout the, you know, these past several years and occasionally he might fight a Daniel Jacobs or a Darian Chinkle or somebody like that. But you see those fights are razor thin. He's not this monster that they made him out to be. HBO just, you know, made him out, you know, to the public. Oh, he's the most avoided. They use the Carl Rove tactic. You know what I'm saying? That the, the former uh, Republican consultant, like the catchy phrases and things like that, Triple G, you know, I know that's his name or whatever, but they just, made it out to be where he was bigger than and better than he actually was, you know? So Canelo went up in there, you know, Canelo was, has been fighting stiff opposition. And, you know, it seemed like that day he kind of cool and cordial now, you know, he kind of humbled Triple G a little bit. But when you look at the punch stats, right? So in the trilogy, Glovkin threw uh, 521 and 120 punches and Canelo threw 400 and 87, and he landed 130. Golovkin uh, landed 29 more jabs than Canelo, and Canelo landed 39 more power punches than Golovkin. And also, um, Canelo was extremely accurate with his power shots. He landed 39% of them, and Golovkin landed 27% of his power punches. And Canelo had an 85 to 46 edge and power shots landed. If you look at the power punches throughout the fight, every round Canelo landed more power punches than 
Gennady Golovkin. Also, a few rounds when Gennady Golovkin landed more punches than Canelo, maybe like one or two punches more, he just landed more jabs. But when you look at the power punches in every round, Canelo Alvarez outpowered the so-called um, monster in Gennady Golovkin. Like I said, he just put the pressure on him. Um, as far as like just stepping to him, kept coming forward. And when Gennady Golovkin faces Canelo Alvarez, I heard somebody say this. He's too nice when he fights him. And for whatever reason, just his presence and his skill, especially after the first fight, he, he's been not the same guy that he is. He's not the stalker, you know, coming in and breaking people down and cutting off the range. He's just not the same guy when he fights Canelo as he is against the 40-plus other fighters that he's, he's faced. The other few uh, last things that I want to mention is when you look at both guys in the ring, naturally, Golovkin is a much bigger guy than Canelo Alvarez. That's why it surprised me so much with Canelo being able to be so effective at super middleweight because he's really not um, – he's probably like a 164-type guy naturally, but he's, he has a skill. He has enough power. Um, to be able to compete at a high level at 168. And so some guys may still give them a little bit of a little bit of trouble because if, you know if their boxing ability is, is uh, top tier and then also just the physical size of those guys. But like I say, Golovkin was was he just looked much bigger, you know, than than Canelo last night. Now um I think that Canelo he was trying to get triple G out of there. But at the same time, he wasn't willing to like just overly risk and put himself in danger because some of those right hands that he was throwing, he was missing, but that could have truncated the look of this fight. You know what I mean? It could have expedited things if had he been able to land, you know, one of those big shots and the left hook that he was throwing. He just let the Triple G know, you come up in here, you see what's, what's coming, what's, what's about your head. You know what I'm saying? So that was also a ploy as well, just to let him know that I got some thump on these shots and I'm ready to the uh, tee off on you if you get a little too reckless. Um, and then last thing is, man, you know, what's up with that Mexican style? That's what I'm saying. He's the Carl Rowe of boxing, man. Like, he, he's the, the catchy phrase, uh, George W. Bush. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, man. Like, so you said Mexican style. This is the perfect opportunity to put that Mexican style to, to uh, work. You know what I'm saying? Because the dude is right there. He want to he wanna smoke. So, once you go ahead and lay it all on the line, but I've never seen him do that. You know, on maybe a few occasions, like I said, Canelo took the foot off his gas a little bit because he was just trying to take him a little break. But outside of that, you know, and I know this excuse is going to be 40 years old, but dude had an opportunity to fight a whole bunch of guys in his career that he chose not to fight. So I don't want to hear that type of stuff. This is the only guy that he really is willing to fight. And now that and you can't say that the guy was ducking him because he was taking on him. Caleb Plants. He was taking the Callum Smiths. He was taking uh, the Billy Joe Saunders. So you can't say that. And he did something that nobody has ever done at super middleweight, and that's become the undisputed champ. So what were you doing in that time, sir? You know, so I don't even want to hear about that age. But, you know, shout out to Canelo, you know, El Gran Campeon, you know. Some of the things that they were saying, too, I forgot to mention was this, though, that is that um, – when he came in the ring. Did y'all notice that? When it was like, El Gran Campeon, Nuro 
Uno, Libra, Por Libre, El Nino, Qual es la Fecha, El Taco Grande, Super Campeón del Peso Media. Like they just have plenty of names for Canelo as he enters the ring. But last thing I'm going to say is this, though, for real, man. I'm glad that he was able to take out that bumper clock, Ross clock, you know, Benetti Below. That's all I got. You said you glad for that. I'm just glad that little fake manufactured beef is over with now. Man, I know you got your beef with Triple G. I like both of them. They both have things you could criticize. They both have very good things about them. But when it comes to the way he be coming up with these beef for fighters, Canelo like Norma Osborn, man. Like, you know, on, on Spider-Man, when Norma Osborn be cool and then he look in the mirror and then the mirror be telling him something and then next thing you know, he evil. That's what Canelo be doing with coming up with these beefer guys. Like when you look at the stuff that his reasons for why things are so personal with specifically with like with Caleb Plant and with Triple G, it doesn't make sense. And you can tell it was manufactured because literally the minute the bell rung, you know, they they hugging and they like Triple G kissing a man and, and you know their foreheads on each other and stuff like that. So I'm just glad that that little fake manufactured beef is over with, man. Anyway. In terms of the fight itself, uh, Triple G, you know, his body just looked different, you know, and I think that was more of a testament of him moving up to weight. Uh, he also just looked a step behind. I'm not sure if he was so tentative on throwing because he just didn't want to get caught for what was coming back or if Canelo was just doing such a good job getting back out of the way after he was throwing, but he wasn't throwing enough to decisively win the majority of those rounds. Vail, you said something about the scoring. I thought ultimately it didn't matter, but definitely questionable at best. I had it 119-109 personally in Canelo's favor. Now, in between rounds four and five, you know, you also talked about Jonathan Banks. I was paying attention to what he was standing in the corner, and that's when he started telling him, you know, Triple G, you got to start shooting your shot. And he was saying, you know, believe in what we worked on in Kent. And then – you know, he referred to it again the following round saying, you know, go back to what we worked on in camp, which led me to believe that maybe Triple G had lost the mental war by that point. Another thing I thought was uncharacteristic of him, or maybe I'm misremembering, but he was kind of leaning forward and throwing off that front foot a lot. You know, he wasn't really sitting down on a whole lot of punches. He still has that power, but he didn't really generate that from the lower body for what I saw. Now, Canelo, he fought his fight that we're mostly used to seeing for the most part. The difference that I saw is that he started to unload quicker this time around. Like some of those combos and the power that he was putting into his punches in round four, we don't, we don't see that from him until about round six or seven. However, I thought that he gassed quicker. Like his gas tank looks similar to the first fight between those two. Now he said he has a hand injury and, you know, he'll be out for a year, up to a year, which we'll get on a little bit later. But his stamina was clearly affected in those later rounds, which was partially how Triple G was able to win maybe one or two of those. Now, I know we say, you know, Triple G looked how he looked, but low key, it looked like Canelo lost a little bit as well. You know, I'm not sure if it was from having 62 professional fights by the age of 32 or whether it was more so all the activity in the past few years. But, you know, hand injury aside, he, he looked good enough to beat Triple G at this stage, but 
I'm thinking anybody at the top of 168 got to be looking at shots based on what they saw. He did say that he still wants to fight Bivol if he beats Zerto. But I'll say this. I'm not going to write him off in any type of way. You know, people say they're only good as their last fight. I don't know if that's the case for Canelo. But if this is the Canelo that we'll get moving forward, if I'm him, I'm not fighting any more Mexicans or Russians, me personally. But anyway, another interesting thing that I was thinking about is that, you know, he became undisputed at 168 when he beat Caleb Plant last year. And then he moved up in May, so he didn't have to defend any of those belts. And now he may be out for another year. I think he'll wait fully until September uh, just to make sure his hand heals up properly and probably to take a little bit of a break. But it'll be interesting to see what those sanctioned bodies do about that because are they going to let him hold all those belts hostage for two years? Like, what will these guys, the rest of the guys at the division, be actually fighting for? It's only going to be interim belts at the line if, if that is the case. As for Triple G, you know, he says he has some fights left still. He has a plan laid out to move back down to 160 and defend his IBF, IBO, and WBA belts. Maybe we'll get into this later, but I will be interested to see who they match him up against since he's on that zone deal. You know, Magia is the number one contender for the WBO, and he may fight for that belt. But if not, it seems like that would be an easy fight to make. And Ubate Jr. has already called him out as well, but he has to get past Conor Ben for what that's worth. And that's going to take him going down to that catch weight in order to do so. So I don't know if that timeline will align or what's going to happen with that. But that's all I got. The fight kind of panned out about how I expected it to pan out. Uh, shout out to both fighters, though. You know, uh, Canelo's put in a lot of work over the past few years. And Say what you want about Triple G, but, you know, he moved up a weight. He he showed his his chin, at least, in terms of not getting knocked down. Having so many fights and never being knocked down is a huge accomplishment in boxing. So, salute to both fighters. Oh, yeah, shout out to, to Ty, because he, he's actually the only one who actually called this one correctly. And for his reasons, he stated it, it made sense when watching the fight. Uh, I didn't think it would play out that way, but, you know. I'm, I'm mad because I, I called it too, but I reneged in the text because I thought he was going to get stopped late. But logically, you know, he had never been even knocked down before. But, yeah, shout out to Ty, though. You know, he got a, he got a good chin, man. You know, and then I don't really take away from Canelo as far as looking like he's lost his stuff or anything like that. He's fighting a big, strong dude. Like, Triple G, regardless of, you know, the stuff that I'm saying about him, which I do feel is true. He's he's a big, strong guy who can get you out of there. And that's a lot of fatigue. Ooh, he's probably the most powerful guy that Canelo has faced, you know, on his run that he's been on. And even though he was campaigning at 160. And so that's going to take a lot, you know, out of you throughout the course of the fight. And he's, he's talented. You know what I'm saying? He brings that pedigree. He just... Triple G is going to be tough regardless of who he's in the ring with. You don't have to go through something in order to beat him. It's not going to be just a walk in the park, although score-wise it was a walk in the park to me. You know, I don't care what those gentlemen said. He, he did whoop on Triple G, but that's going to be a daunting task for 12 rounds just based on the nation of the beast, man. That dude's a strong, hard-punching, skillful guy that you got to go through. He's kind of like a robot that you got to just keep going through 
you know, each round. So I don't take too much away from Canelo. And it was easy. You know what I'm saying? Like he was up. It was easy in the sense of how he was winning. He was, he was chalking up each round. So it's like, okay, my hand hurt a little bit. I, I got the win in the bag. I just got to make it for these last few rounds. And you know that it's, it's, it's a huge challenge to try to, you know, put a dent in this guy. So I'm just going to go ahead and continue to box and just make sure that I, I get this victory over my arch nemesis. So that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent breakdown of the fight. Um, but what do you think Canelo goes from here? I mean, it's a, it's a lot of options. And I know uh, that he mentioned his injury, but when he comes back from injury, what direction do you think he should go? Who, who should Canelo fight next? If, if I'm Canelo, I, I would stay away from Bibbo. <laughs> and I might stay away from Zerto, too. The only alert with Zerto is that now you have two Mexicans in a Mexican super fight, but you still got a, a huge guy that's bigger than Bibbo, you know? If that fight with Bibbo showed anything is that Canelo does have a limit. And Zerto can box and move for a big guy, too, which is not on a level that Bibbo does it, but it's enough to probably give Canelo some, some trouble. So if I'm Canelo, I already got four belts at 168. Uh, you still have guys at 168. You still got David Benavidez is just right there. Just then you have Jamal Charlo who could either fight Triple G or he could move up and fight Canelo. You know, so those are are, are it's still some options. Canelo has a lot of options, but I think those are the two fights: Benavidez and Charlo, the fights that I think he should go in. He's not gonna fight Benavidez though. He said he's not fighting Mexicans. Like I would like to see it, but. He's not going to fight him. And he has to be careful because when he kind of defends himself against these fighters that call him out, like, you know, they asked him in the, in the post-fight presser. They said, you know, they asked him about his thing about not fighting Mexicans. And then he said something on the lines of, yeah, Benavidez Sr. has been talking all this trash, but what has he done? He's only won one belt. So logically, so what? Are you not going to fight fighters that only won one belt because you just fought Bevo, who only won one belt. So what what do you actually mean when you say that? At some point, you got to fight these fighters, regardless of their accomplishment, if they come up a certain way. You fought Caleb Plant. Caleb Plant only had one belt to offer. So, you know, in terms of what he's going to do is, I guess we have to wait until maybe, you know, May of next year and see how 168 shakes out. You know, you do have David Morrell up there, young guy. Uh, you do have Charlo which I think he'll fight. I don't know what he's going to do with Benavidez, to be honest, but it's not really much else for him in terms of names. I mean, they mentioned that he might fight Ryder, you know, when he signed that three-fight deal with the zone. The third fight was supposed to have been someone like a Ryder in December or some kind of fight in the UK. You got someone like Zach Parker. You got someone like... <laughs> I mean, he said... The same thing that the Andre, Andre is going to move up or has moved up already. But, you know, when Andre caught him out, he said, well, who have you fought? And so I don't know who he's going to fight, but he's can potentially leave himself open to a lot of criticism if he fights someone like one of those guys when Benavidez is sitting right there. But at the same time, he'll be coming back from injury. And so I wouldn't be mad if he were to take on someone like a Ryder or a Zach Park, you know, in the immediate future. That's what he's going to do. He's going to fight one of those guys. That's his, That's going to be the excuse. You know, he's going to be coming off a layoff, so he needed a little fine-tuning. You know, he always do that. But here's the thing with Canelo. Canelo is sitting on top 
of the tree. You know what I'm saying? And what he's doing, and you got the other guys on the, on the other branches of the tree, and they're trying to climb up with Canelo. What Canelo will do is he'll take out somebody that's on one of those top branches that the other guy, they can't face them in order to propel them up to be to, to get to a branch that's going to get them to Canelo. So he'll take out those guys, but then he'll leave dudes who that, that you really want to see him face out of the equation, like a Benavides, like a Charlo, like um, Andrade, you know what I mean? Like he's, he's, he's knocking off those other guys, but he's not directly facing them. It's unfortunate, but he's doing just enough that he can justify what it is that he's doing. But he's running out of those options, though, because there's not many people left to face um, because at 168, he pretty much beat all of the guys that the noteworthy guys. And if he fights somebody like, let's say, for instance, Darrell gets past Plant, nobody's going to want to see him face Darrell. Uh, uh, Ryder fight may be lucrative over like a UK, you know, their fan base, but everybody in the UK knows Ryder isn't. <laughs> go mess with, mess with uh, Canelo. So I don't know, but they they are gullible enough that, uh, you know, in the end, they'll probably put some money behind the fight or, you know, BT uh, Network, Boxing News, whatever it is, being or whatever they got out there that they end up putting money into. So that looks like what he'll do next. Now, after that, I don't know. At some point, he's going to have to take on a Benavides if Benavides keeps winning, unless he's just waiting for Benavides to... To lose, I would stay away from 175 because he looks smallish. And Bivol is, he's not, he's just an average size, light heavyweight. Some of those other guys are, are big for the weight and he's already smallish. To me, he's kind of small for 168, uh, let alone 175. So I would even, you know, that should have been something that he just did in order to, you know, pad his accomplishments you know, and, 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 you know, make history and things like that. But as far as like making a living off fighting at 175, I wouldn't do it, but you know, we'll see. Well, fellas, good discussion on that fight. Now for the co-main, we had Jesse Ben Rodriguez. He was defending his WBC belt for the second time this year after he won it back in March against Israel Gonzalez at 28 and now 28 and five. What were your guys take away from that fight? Yeah, this fight uh, was pretty much put together as kind of a showcase for them. He entered, like when they made the fight initially, he was a 30 to 1 favorite. And then it dropped to still pretty high, but it was 16, 17 to 1 um, going into the fight. So people start putting a little bit of money behind Gonzalez, but it still was a huge, huge uh, separation as far as the odds are concerned. And, and Bam coming into this fight, he, you know, he had the two impressive victories against Quadris and Rumbasai. And he didn't particularly build on the momentum of those two victories on Saturday, but he did gain some valuable experience and lessons in this fight. I think that the three things that he learned uh, moving forward is that you can't look for the knockout. And I thought that he was pressing a lot in his fight, trying to get the knockout. And then don't overlook any opponent, especially a world-class opponent. And then lastly, which kind of goes into number two, you know, don't get too full of yourself. You know, it's a difference between being confident and arrogant. And I think that going into this fight, he started to bask in his glory. You know, people were saying these, these uh, 
high praise, give him high praises and things like that. And it started to get to his head. Cause I heard some of the things that he was saying going into the fight, you know, as far as him, what type of class fighter that he is. And pre, you know, prior to that, I had never heard Bam speak that highly of himself. He just was one of those guys, like a working beat. Like I just go out there and, and put on the show and I'll let the chips fall where, where they may, as far as what people say about me. But going into this fight, he got a little bit, um, ahead of himself, if you will. Uh, I thought that Israel definitely did better than expected. You know, the fight was close, but I didn't think that, I thought it was close each round. But I think that if you score it, that Bam at least won about eight of those rounds. It was the early rounds where he was given as much as he was taking, Gonzalez, that is. And some of the, you know, later rounds too, he was he was performing well. But he, was, he did a lot better than expected. I think that, the problem for Bam is this, is that when he has, if he's going to take the approach that he took yesterday, it's different that, to face somebody who's like coming forward, they're a power puncher. He'll get off on those guys all the time. He could have got off on Gonzalez yesterday had he took taken a different approach. He just was too arrogant and too confident you know, to face him knowing that he had the losses that he had, the lack of knockouts that he had. He just thought he was going to demolish him. But styles make fights. Had he been facing somebody who was much more of like a, a power puncher, maybe even somebody he's he's prepared for. It doesn't seem like he was even prepared for that fight. He just was going to go in there and wreak havoc on a guy. And then the, and he was going to do that until he beat him into submission. But Gonzalez was doing a good job of boxing. He was doing a good job of countering. He was doing a good job of leading. He's a very skilled guy, you know? And I think that he he's had a few losses, but he's learned from those losses. He had a very good account of himself against Chocolatito. And so those are the things that Bam should have taken into consideration, you know, in this fight. And Bam also, he almost ran the risk of getting disqualified with those low blows that he was throwing as well. And so the way I looked at it, the positives for Bam you know, as I watched the fight was, you know, he was, he was in there applying his pressure, you know, and he went 12 rounds against a crafty veteran, but the bad was those low blows. And then also the fact that he was just a little bit overconfident, but I thought all in all that the fight was a good learning lesson for him. And I think that it's going to help him in his progress moving forward. What, what do you guys, what did you guys see yesterday? Yeah, I agree. I thought it was close rounds but I didn't think it was a close fight. I personally scored it 117-110 in his favor. That round where he lost a point for the low blow, I had it like 9-9 because I thought he was winning the rest of that round. The judges had scored it 118-109, 117-111, and 114-113. For my perception in terms of where Bam's head was at going into the fight was – you know, if you heard him talk after the Sora Rungvazai fight, he was saying something along the lines of he wanted to go back down and wait. And, you know, when they asked him about, you know, fighting Estrada potentially, he was kind of pushing him off to his brother saying, you know, oh, that's my brother's, that's my brother's, you know, work right there. You know what I mean? Because his brother is a champion at the division as well. They also mentioned during the, during the broadcast that, he didn't want to take this fight, but Garcia was saying, hey, man, if you got a chance to co-main on a Canelo pay-per-view, you got to take it. And so he had what he wanted to do versus 
you know, what was best for his career potentially in this theoretical showcase fight. And then, you know, when they named the opponent, he probably kind of looked at him and that's where he maybe got big headed. It was like, oh, you know, this guy, Gonzalez, oh, he's all right, but I'm gonna walk through him. Look at who I beat this year. But Gonzalez, like you said, Will, he's 28 and five, but he's only 25 years old. And so all of these fights that he had earlier was as a much younger guy. And like, if you look at across the board in boxing, you there's not really a lot of fighters you can say that have fought those caliber of fighters before 25. Like maybe you got Haney, Shakur is on his way to having that kind of, if he's not already in terms of having that kind of pedigree, but there's not many names across the board who have fought those kind of names prior to 25. So that's kind of my perception going into the fight. Gonzalez, another thing about him is he had only been knocked out once and it was much earlier in his career. And so, you know, the durability was there. And then I also thought that he did a really good job of kind of turning to face band whenever he tried to work those angles. I thought he did a good job of when he was throw combos, he did a good job of starting off by throwing up top and then working his way down to the body. I think those counters to the body is also part of what Ben wasn't anticipating, you know? Um, and so Gonzalez, he definitely made a good showing for himself. I thought I was impressed with Bam. You could tell that, you know, he got more than what he was bargaining for, but at the end of the day, he figured out what he had to do to get it done against a tough opponent. A win is a win. Props to him for figuring it out. Say what you want, but I think it'll be a lesson learned for him. And I think that moving forward, he will learn to take it fight by fight and not look at names and not take people lightly just off of the strength of their names. Actually, the, the thing that did impress me with Bam was his ability to, to pretty much turn the tide, I think, midway to the fight by the fourth or fifth round. Because really up to that point, it seemed for me, it seemed like Gonzalez was really, you know, kind of winning the fight. Uh, it seemed like Rodriguez was trying to rely on one punch to try to, you know, get Gonzalez out of there. But when that, when he when Bam realized that wasn't going to work, he pretty much, you know, resorted back to, you know, his usual boxer puncher style, you know, trying to really set up his shots and use his jab and, and, and those things, pretty much the basics and just be himself uh, versus trying to get an early stoppage. Uh, and once he started doing that, he started doing better in terms of hurting Gonzalez and making Gonzalez think about certain things. I didn't really like the low blows, you know, because that, I mean, not in a fight like that where you you're trying to get people to know your name, you hit them down. And this wasn't like uh, just a belt shot. It was pretty much a low blow. But props to him. He did what he had to do. Uh, he got the victory. And I, and I was definitely impressed with the second half of this fight, how it turned out, because I thought that uh, Bam did have opportunity to, to stop Gonzalez and, and really hurt him. Uh, so that portion of it was, was good. I just didn't – the interesting thing was just how many rounds it took for him to, to really adjust to Gonzalez. You know, you show some uh, pretty good stamina, you know, to be able to fight the way he's fighting throughout the whole 12. I just want to shout out the um, New Orleans Saints and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because they were there fighting. They got a main event going on with a lot of more fighting Williams right now. So shout out to them. <laughs> yeah, shout out to those guys. Uh, my bad, man. Lamar is kicking these dudes' butt, man. <laughs> he's running all across the field. But anyway, so what's next for, for, for uh, Bam Rodriguez? 
for him, he said it himself that he wants to move down. And I think that's what probably that's the most likely thing is going to happen. Now, the obvious choice as a boxing fan and for what he's been doing this year is to go ahead and, and, and fight Roman Gonzalez, you know, fight the winner of Gonzalez Estrada or fight Gonzalez. I think that's the more logical uh, step for him. But yeah, he, just the way he's been talking since I like he's just not happy at 115. Like he just doesn't want he feels in his heart he doesn't really belong there and he wants to leave that to his brother so i mean it's, it's still some pretty decent fights at one at 112 at flyweight so that's where i think he's pretty much gonna go yeah that's pretty much where i met with it too you know he, he said where he wanted to go and then you know he also said that with respect to his brother being at the division you know his brother is also out here striving for greatness as well and his brother has been at the division he just kind of been capitalizing on the opportunity that was given to him when he fought Quadras. So I think that he's going to go back down to 112. I don't know if he's going to fight again this year. I wouldn't be mad at him if he didn't, but I could see him by 2023. I could see him fighting to become undisputed at 112 or even going back down to 108. But either of those divisions, I believe he could take. So he'll be fine either way. Yeah, I see he's gonna get lost in the sauce by going back down to one twelve or one oh eight because the marquee matchup is the Estrada against the Chocantito. And that and like you say, bro, that's what you want to see, man. The dude put in the work against the top dudes at that weight class. Now, you know, it's right there for you. The big prize is right there for you. And it's just a, a, a situation where it's the pecking order, you know what I mean? And, and you just wanna see him you know, um, go against one of those, those those legends. You know what I'm saying? Because people don't really, although his brother is saying that he's pretty good as well, maybe equally as talented or very close to being as talented as Ben, it's just that the, most people don't know him, right? So that's just gonna, it's not gonna be the same. Like Ben is, is on this historic run to a certain degree, you know, doing things that, you know, rarely have you seen fighting out of a weight class that you really wasn't, you know, fighting at. And then you took the short notice fight against Quadrants and then you backed it up with a sort of rumbleside victory. And those two guys were nemesis of the two legends that are going to be fighting in December. And so you just line them up and you, 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 you should just take, I would like them, but you can't, if that's not what's in his heart, if his heart is telling him he want to go back to 112, it's just a few questions that I have about that, especially on the weight. I'm trying to figure out where the weight gonna come off at. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because he doesn't look like he he's small, but he's at 115. Seven more pounds? Like <laughs> where's that seven gonna come from? I don't see it, but I mean if he's saying that he can do it, you know, more power to him. Also, uh last night on the uh, Canelo uh, Triple G fight car, we had uh some super middleweight action. Uh, up-and-coming fighter, Ali Akhmedal, he took on uh, Gabriel Rosado. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on this fight? Well, I, I saw that was one of the fights where I was telling you that I was taking little naps and stuff like that. But the parts that I did see, and I went and I replayed most of it this morning. And for one, um, Ali was just way bigger than Gabe. You know, that's the first thing that I noticed, you know, in checking this fight out was the size difference. And then also 
what I liked about what Ali was doing in this fight was the fact that he wasn't like being overly aggressive against Gabe. You know, he was landing his big shot, so he landed up the one-two, and then he'll just keep Gabe at bay. Gabe was trying to set him up for the big shots, but he was, to me, this was a little too small to be able to pull it off. A little bit, you know, older now. But Gabe showed a good, great heart, man. You know, being able to take the punishment that he was taking. He was trying to come on towards the end. I thought that his opponent won pretty much every round. Maybe you could have gave Gabe like the 10th, but I, I, you know, maybe, maybe not. But it was just a wide margin victory um, for Ali Akhmadov. And, you know, it's interesting to see if, if I think Gabe said that's, that's it. I wasn't listening to the commentary. Um, last night after the fights and things like that. Um, so I don't know if that's what he said, but hopefully he, he'll ride off into the sunset. But I think I still, for Akhmadai, you know, he that was his best victory so far in his career. But he's it's against somebody who has 15, 16 losses and somebody who's a little getting up there in age, who's not the same fighter that he was once before. I'm still, the, the, the questions that I have about him, they're still there. Um, if he's fighting somebody that's younger, somebody who can take some of the shots that he's going to be shooting. He's a hard-hit guy. That right hand is, is serious. Um, and he has a left to back it up as well. But I'm still questioning his ability to take uppercuts. Gabe was unable to land any of that, any of those yesterday. And he really, that's not even a shot that he typically shoots. He's trying to get you up that right hand. Um, he's trying to run you into the right hand. And even when the way Ali was facing him yesterday, he would have to try to um, not necessarily time him because he just was never in position to throw it that way. He would have to be the aggressor. And that's not when Gabe is, is comfortable. But as far as Ali is concerned, I'm still questioning you know, his ability to take absorb uppercuts. I'm also questioning his stamina. If somebody he's fighting is his size, they're able to keep up a certain pace that Gabe wasn't able to keep up yesterday. How will he fare in the latter part of the fight? And in his loss that he had, that was the trouble that he ran into. And I'm not sure if he's corrected that or if that's something that he's able to correct, if he's just always gonna have stamina issues. But I think that he was wearing down a little bit yesterday but he was just fighting against a guy who couldn't take advantage of those opportunities. But good win for him. You know, I'm interested to see where he goes from here at the 168-pound weight class because he is a huge guy, you know, for that weight class. And he will spill – he will create some type of problems for some of those guys, especially early. But I think that the better fighters will be able to take advantage of him, you know, later in fights. Yeah, yeah, good breakdown. Yeah, I thought I did see a different Rico to Akhmadab's game where he boxed a little bit more. Um, he uses movement a lot. And, and Rosado, props to him, he's just, you know, a tough guy. When this fight first came off, I thought that Akhmadab would probably stop Rosado, like, standing. Rosado is not one of those guys that just, you know, just going to get knocked out. You have to really beat him into submission. And I thought this would be the fight. But Rosado is just so tough. Uh, but it's like... Like the question you said, like how, I mean, maybe he should run it right to the sunset. It's like how much punishment he's going to take because he's taken a lot of, a lot of punishment in his career. Like he's been a, a opponent for a lot of tough guys. He's taken some, you know, brutal shots. Uh, and he's, and we're not talking about a guy like, he's not like a guy that get hit and he falls down. I mean, he's taking 
he's been taking beatings. And in this fight, it looked like Rosado was just more so looking for just that one punch that was never going to come. And it, I mean, I don't know if he, he watched uh, the fight where Akhmadav was uh, KO'd, but it looked like he was just trying to, you know, recreate that and look for that shot. And it just never came. And uh, by the time that Rosado knew that that shot was going to come, he basically, you know, relied on his toughness. Like, hey, look, I'll put my hands up, you hit me, whatever, but I'm going to finish this fight. And he's just one of those guys that takes pride in, 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 in finishing the fight. So, um, Rosado at this point, he is what he is. He has nothing to, to, to prove, especially to me. He's a tough guy, but it's like, I mean, I think he's in his mid thirties. It's like, how much more do you got? You know? So, and I don't want to see anyone get hurt. Uh, Akhmadav, I mean, it was a good step up fight for him. He, he definitely needs more fights, more experience before we start talking about the upper echelon of 168, you know? Um, and, and I think he's, he's about 27. So, uh, in this era, is it's, it's about right, but you know, past eras is like, man, it was dude waiting on. But uh, we'll see where he goes from here. All right, coming up next week, you know, in Brick City, Newark, New Jersey, you got Shakur Stevenson. He'll be facing 2016 Olympic gold medalist Robson Conceicao. Who do you guys like in that matchup? Hmm, okay, this is this is a, a, a good fight for Stevenson. You know, uh, and good fight for Kasesia also. You know, Shakur Stevenson coming to this fight, 18 and 0, uh, nine knockouts, five for eight, 68 inch reach. Uh, it's coming off some, some his good wins over uh, Oscar Valdez and Jamel Herring. Um, he's, he's a pound for pound, number one talent type guy. Like you can see him being a future pound for pound number one guy. I mean, his skill is there. His IQ is there. He has Olympic pedigree. Uh, when guys, when fighters get, you know, compared to other fighters and people love to say this person's the next Floyd or, or what have you, I think Shakur Stevenson is probably the closest to that particular uh, uh, style. It's just that he doesn't have the firepower that Floyd had earlier in his career. But as far as hitting, not get hit and, and uh, having that speed and, and, and skill and, and, you know, to see things coming like from a mile away i think shakur really has that locked down uh one of the best jabs today uh casa style um it's gonna be interesting because 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 roberto ropeson he's uh taller he's about 510 you know 17 and one with eight knockouts um those his knockout rate is kind of misleading he does have power uh he can catch you he can hurt he can hurt you um and i and i thought that even even his one loss against uh, Valdez, I thought it was a, a good enough effort that you can make a case that he he uh, some people believe he won that fight. Um, so you can argue that he's undefeated. Um, he's a very sharp uh, throws a lot of com combinations, very sharp combinations. Um, amateur pedigree, as you said, Will he's he's a gold medalist. So it's 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 things that that I think he's better than being advertised. Like when his first when his fight first got announced, I was like, uh. Stevenson is going to win this one easy. But I'll, I'll say this. Stevenson can still win this fight easier or easy, but I'll be more impressed if he does. You know, I think Casasau has some amateur pedigree, and I think that's going to – that could give Stevenson trouble. But if Stevenson is who I think he is, I think he's going to win a decision, maybe a, a seven – maybe a, a nine-three decision. 
I think his, his skill is just it's just gonna be too much. Uh, and I and I think even though Casasau uh, has power and things of that nature, I think he's gonna try to box Stevenson. And I think that's the wrong strategy going into that fight. So I I believe Shakur Stevenson win this fight by decision. Yeah, this is a, a really good matchup. I think that this matchup is probably the best matchup that can be made at 130 pounds. I think that this is going to be Shakur's stiffest test to date. Um, he's coming off the impressive victory over Valdez. I just think Valdez was more made to order for Shakur. And the hearing fight, it was good in a sense that, you know, he collected the belt. He beat a veteran, but... Yeah. You know, shout out to Aaron. I don't want to say too much bad about him. I, I didn't, like, when people talk about Shakur's resume, you know, the Aaron fight, you know, eh, you know what I'm saying? Like, but it's not his fault. He had the belt, so he had to get that, you know, that, that medal from him. So I understand it, but the Valdez fight to me was the one that propelled him into my top 10 pound for pound list, as well as just the overall skills that the kids possess, because he can do it all, the reflex, the angles, the jab, speed combinations, pot shot you, you got the IQ, you know, not the biggest puncher in the world, but he's definitely not feather fisted either. I can say Stiao, as I stated before, Olympic gold medalist in Brazil in 2016. Uh, he's very unorthodox, big, strong for 130 pounds. And, He's, he's a very good boxer as well, you know. Very tough fight for Shakur, especially the first five, six rounds. I think that Kinsaciao is one of those guys who he has that Olymp Olympic amateur stamina where he's very solid for, like, the first three rounds, maybe five, six rounds. And you saw that against Valdez. Like, he was dog-walking Valdez the first like six rounds. Once that seventh round came around, then you saw a shift. And it was more so the fact that his stamina, you know, gave way. And then Valdez kind of had his way with him the latter part of the fight. Um, and I expect that to happen in this, this one as well. It's going to take Shakur some time to figure out Consacia because he's very unorthodox. And also, like I said, Consacia was very good in his fights for the first five, six rounds, you know? And then, like I said, his performance drops off considerably in the second half of fights, and he'll be facing the elite of the elite and someone who does not get tired. And so on the flip side of that, he's gonna have a, a fall off as far as his production. And then Stevenson is gonna be able to maintain or even get stronger. And that's when you're gonna see the separation between both pugilists. But um, he will provide a stiff test, though. Like, it's going to be a very tough fight at first five, six rounds. But I have Shakur winning by 12-round decision as well. But I also want to shout out Shakur for facing such a formidable foe, you know, after the biggest win of his career. You know, guys typically take a softer touch after they get a victory like the Valdez fight. But, you know, he went right after another, you know, monster. And he also is going after a guy that from a technical standpoint is even more of a challenge than Valdez. So I just want to, you know, say shout out to him for that. And then also he's doing it in his hometown. This could be a fight where, so you can say Seattle is so unorthodox and tricky. It could be a fight that kind of 
um, derail some of the momentum Shakur has. Not that he would lose, but as far as how the approach that Casasial is going to take if he's losing the fight, because he's a mover. Like he likes to move around, and especially the second half of the fight. And Shakur is not the type of person that's cutting off the ring, trying to hunt you down. And his best attributes, you know, he has a, 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 a lot of an array of skill, but that's not his strong suit. That's not what he wants to do. That's not what he's a natural at. And somebody like a Consecial can stink up a joint. So I could see that happen as well. But as long as Consecial is in there, you're going to see some high, highly skilled stuff from both guys, especially early. But like I said, the separation is going to come when you have that drop off of stamina uh, from Consecial in the latter half of the fight. Yeah, I definitely want to give my respect to Shakur as well. Consecial, he's a high risk, low reward fighter with that great amateur pedigree you guys talked about. Um, but Shakur, you know, people kind of, I don't know if you can really underrate what he's done over the past two years, but, you know, in 2021, he fought Nakathila, who just knocked out Burchelt, and then he fought Herring, and then he fought Valdez, and now this. And so there's no slouch of a lineup of fighters to fight, you know, especially at that weight class. And so really, really glad that he, he's fighting to Seisial. This is probably the best fight that could have been made at 130 at this particular point in time. I think Casasial, very good, very slick fighter who can give anybody at the division troubles. Some of his style, to me, is a little bit reminiscent of a lesser Shakur. And then at the same time, Shakur, he might be the most defensively responsible fighter in boxing. You know, he just doesn't lose rounds. And most importantly, even when he feels like he's ahead, he'll finish the job, whether it's just blowing through the opponent in later rounds or whether it's beating them down so bad that the rest have to step in or intervene. But the fact that Shakur doesn't really take rounds off like that, one, it serves badly for fighters who do gas out in those later rounds because there could be kind of like a recency bias in terms of like if you were doing well at the beginning of the fight, you know, and you don't do well at the end of the fight, that's going to sway a lot of people's eyes and perception of you, you know? Um, but all that to say, I have Shakur winning a decision. I can see him winning somewhere between eight and nine rounds in this fight, probably nine, but I think he's going to win a pretty clear decision. You guys have anything else in this fight? Yeah, the fight is going to take place uh, on Friday. Do you guys like that? You know, when they have them Friday night fights, like ESPN does that. Yeah, so yeah, I like it a lot better than a Sunday night fight. <laughs> For sure. I think Friday is a good way to bring in the weekend, you know, especially on a weekend like this one coming up where you have that Joyce and Parker fight on Saturday. And so it doesn't feel I don't feel overwhelmed with the boxing, but I feel like I can watch both with a fresh set of eyes, you know? Yeah. The only thing for me, Friday is my happy hour day, you know what I'm saying? So I go to my spot and then I get my rest, you know what I'm saying? So they're going to mess up my my little rest that I get on Friday because I'm going to have to, you know, set the alarm for about 11 o'clock, you know, take yeah. a look at this. One. But outside of that, man, you know, either way, it's, it's fine. You know, I just want to see uh, Shakur's skill being on full display, you know, as well as, well as Ropes and Casasio. Like I said, I just think it's a really good matchup. I don't know 
if this is good for them, you know, as far as the attraction, especially Shakur, you know, the stage that he's at in his career trying to get that stardom, you know, it seemed like the big fights normally be on, on, on Saturday, you know, like for the mega stars and stuff like that. And that's the direction, especially with the skills that he has, you know, that hopefully they can get him on more of a marquee type of platform, you know, or I should say date, um, which is those Saturday night fights. I know you said you're going to set your alarm for 11. Try to set it at like 10, 15, because my guy Keyshawn's fighting before then. So, you know, he, he, he has an eight-rounder. <laughs> yeah, Keyshawn might, he might have, I might have to wait till Saturday morning. <laughs> Shout out to the Davis brothers. You good, Bill? Yeah, I'm good. Cool. Well, I mentioned it a second ago, but on Saturday, there's going to be that Joe Joyce against Joseph Parker fight out there in the UK. How do you guys see that playing out? All right. So we got, you know, Joe, the juggernaut Joyce, you know, he's 36 years old, has a record of 14, 13 KOs, has an 80 inch reach. Big guy, man, 6'6", you know, very solid. Um, and then you got Joseph Parker, who's 6'4", 30 years of age, 76 inch reach. And he has a 30, he has 30 wins, two losses, and 21 KOs. As I stated in the past, the one thing that we can guarantee is that the press conference for this fight is going to be a snooze fest. You know, these guys are very uh, two nice blokes we have here. You know, not much trash talking, you know, amongst the guys. Uh, but this fight will be fought for the number one spot in the WBO rankings. So at some point, They'll be in line for Alexander Usyk or one of Alexander Usyk's belts. So that puts more at stake. Both guys are already one and two in the WBO, but this will definitely um, make one of the guys um, the mandatory for the WBO strap. I think that for Joyce, regardless if this was for the number one slot or not, this is something that he needs in his career. He needs to be able to fight some of the top 10 heavyweights um, in order to harness his skills. I know he's 36 years of age, but at the pro level, he just hasn't fought um, anyone in the top 10 when he fought him. You know, I know he had the Dubois victory, but Dubois wasn't in the top 10 at the time. He was uh, rather green. He's still kind of green even now, um, but he did a really good job of showcasing the jab against Dubois but this is a totally different type of fighter that he's going to be facing next uh, Saturday. And Joyce, you know, every time I speak on him, man, I just, the, the guy is, is really, I, I like him. I like the jab that he has, but it's just the speed. Like he's very slow and he gets hit a lot. But before I, I get to the attributes of both guys, Parker, he, he's more, way more tested, you know, and he's faced the who's who in the division. And I think that he's going to utilize that in this fight. Both guys are durable. I mean, um, and, and they're also big heavyweights. And that's really the only similarities between the two guys. Like I st stated, Joe is really, really slow. Even for a heavyweight, he he's really slow. It was a fight that Dominic Brazil had where he was fighting. He, it's either him or Brazil might be the slowest heavyweights that we have right now. And Parker is, is the opposite. He's, he's pretty mobile. Um, he can throw combinations. He's, uh, he's pretty elusive as well. Um, and then 
Joyce, on the other hand, he likes to shoot one shot at a time. Now he has some power, but that power just comes just so slow that it's going to be interesting to see how he fares against one of the top, I would say, six, seven heavyweights in the world. Uh, will that be something that enables his opponent to take advantage of? I'm sure it will. Um, when I think of Joyce, this is how slow he is. He, you ever, if you watch like the Jason movies, like how Jason be slowly coming after somebody, like that's how his approach, you know, when he's he's facing his opponent. But um, my prediction for this fight, you know, taking factoring everything in, I would have to say that I see Parker schooling Joe Joyce, and with the speed and experience, uh, Joyce he's going to be plotting forward. He's going to be you know, stalking, he's going to have, you know, but he's just going to be eating lefts and rights. And then by the time that he's able to try to get his shots off, I think that either Parker's going to be able to move away to evade the shots, or he's just going to be able to wrap them up and clinch. And I just think that that's going to be the pattern of the fight for all 12 rounds. So I see Parker winning, you know, I just can't see him losing somebody that's slow. Uh, and I, you know, said the same thing when, when um, Joyce was going to fight Dubois. I was looking at both guys. Dubois appeared to be much faster, much quicker. He just doesn't have as many wrinkles in his game as Parker. And he didn't have the experience that Parker had at the pro level. And I think that all of those things are going to play a factor in this one. And I see Joseph Parker taking this by 12-round decision. Yeah, man. Although he's 13-0 with 12 knockouts, you know, Joe Joyce is 36. He competed at the Olympics as recently as 2016 before turning pro. He is often a bigger guy. You've alluded to his slow feet already. And hands. <laughs> and hands. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's 6'6 with an 80 inch reach, you know, so I don't know how much fast you can get, but he has a two inch height advantage and a four inch reach advantage over the 30 year old Parker. Parker's only losses. His two losses came to Dillian White and AJ. And he's looked underwhelming a lot and some narrow victories over Leicester opposition. But I think that, and I don't know how long he's been training with Tyson Fury, but I've been watching him lately and he seems to have a good circle around him. And sometimes if you're a certain level, you can grow into or grow down to your circle. I like the camp that he's been training with, you know, working with Tyson Fury, which by proxy of that, you have guys like Andy Lee and you got guys like Sugar Hill in your camp that's obviously they're going to tell you some stuff too. And so I think that he's the younger guy. I think that training against a bigger, faster guy in Fury is going to give him an edge against someone like Joyce. I originally thought that Joyce was going to find a way to get it done, but just based on what I've been feeling lately, just kind of taking a pulse of the fight, you know, Joyce has his rematch clause in it, which take what you want from that, but it is what it is. It might not be a super exciting fight, but I, I think Parker's going to win the decision here. So looking at this fight, previously I thought, yeah, that Joyce would, like you, Danny, Joyce would give him a little bit of trouble, but man, like, like y'all said, I can't, I can't, I can't get past that lack of speed. Like, I'm not sure I've seen a, a boxer that slow, like a heavyweight. Like when I look at the TV, it's like, I'm like, how can his opponent not see that punch coming? How they get hit?
But the thing is, Joe Joyce does have like excellent, you know, timing. He does time his shots well, even if they're one or two shots, uh, even if they're slow. Uh, he, he has an interesting uh, rhythm, even though it's a slow rhythm. Uh, he throws the shot at the right time, and that's how he gets there. So he does have some IQ. With Joseph Parker, I think the activity of Joseph Parker, I think, is going to give Joyce more trouble. And the, and the fact that a lot of this fight is based on if Joe Joyce can hurt Joseph Parker. And I'm not sure that he can. You know, Parker has a, a strong chin. <laughs> and, Will, you said, you know, Joe Joyce is like Jason. I mean... I think he's slower than Jason, man. I don't know. <laughs> no, but, but hold on. The only thing about Jason is when you turn your back, next thing you know, you're right in front of you, though. You know what I'm saying? That, that is true. I mean, J- yeah, Jason in part six, part seven. You know what? But you know what? I, I, I'm, I know I'm getting to some horror movie stuff, but yeah, you know, first four movies, Jason did run. So Jason can't run. <laughs> but Joyce, I don't know. The guy's pretty slow. <laughs> And, you know, I like Joyce. You know, I like his personality. I like the fact that he he does make it work for him because he does have timing and he does catch you with these shots that you're like, why did I get hit with that shot? Because he's so, like, he does have IQ. It's just looking at the, 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 the IQ and experience of Joseph Parker. I wouldn't bet on Joe Joyce overcoming that, even though I can see Joe Joyce, you know, he, he obviously has power and he can make that work for him. I just can't see it. So, uh I believe Joseph Parker will win a decision over Joe Joyce. I just want the, um, our supporters to know this. We have a video on YouTube when this fight was announced previously, or they were um, setting up the fight. So we did a pre-prediction. Now my position hasn't changed. You know, my, my counterparts, their position changed because they're trying to, you know, they're scared to lose points to me. So. Yeah, the, the video on YouTube has 5.3 thousand views. So anybody, you can go back to that video and see how shady these two guys are. They <laughs> I mean, it's not shady. This. What I did, I, I went and I looked. I looked at the fight because when when these questions get asked initially, it's like, okay, it's fight guy now. So like, you know, I'll check him out. But as they get closer, I'm looking really at them. Like I'm looking at them. I'm, I'm, I'm studying their style. I'm looking at more fights than they do. And Joe Joyce, I mean, if you ever have a chance to look at him on YouTube, it, it's like I feel like me, an untrained person, can get out of the way of those punches, even though I can. I mean, he's obviously got the time to catch me. But I, I can see his punches coming. Like, it shouldn't be like that. So that's what I base it off of. And, hey, it, it, it's really just what I see, just like with last night where I – Ali Akhmadav, I changed that prediction. I mean, I thought Akhmadav would stop Gabe Rosado, but look, just looking at that fight closely, I, I, Rosado, was, his chin was going to get him through. So that's why I changed my, that prediction to a decision. So Yeah, and, and, and as far as Joyce is concerned, it just, to me, like I, I keep going back to when I saw him. I didn't see any of his Olympic um, in amateur fights, but I did see him early in his career. He was smaller. He was much faster. If you look on YouTube, there's a video of him and Alexander Usyk fighting, and that video is impressive with both guys because Joyce is was, was still hard hitting, but his his speed was much faster. His his um, not that he was just like the speed demon or anything like that, but he was way faster than 
than he is now. And it just seemed like every time I see him, he gets slower and slower. And then on top of that, he gets hit so flush. Like every time I'm seeing him fight somebody, whether it was uh, the Christian Hammer fight, like Christian Hammer just was beating a man, like just, he couldn't miss. And so if he was able to like land that many shots against Joyce, even though the fight went like four rounds, I can only imagine what a top 10 heavyweight can do, you know, facing George Wade. All right, so also next week, we got some some action in the, in the uh, women's boxing division. One of the most exciting boxers, uh, Manda Serrano, uh, she'll be taking on Sarah Mafau. Uh, what are you guys' prediction on this, and, and what do you think about this fight? Well, Serrano, as we know, is coming off that tough fight and narrow loss to Katie Taylor. So this is going to be her first fight going back down to her weight class in three fights. Sarah Mafood is 11-0 with three knockouts, but this is her first professional fight outside of Denmark. And a small fun fact, uh, she actually fought and beat Brenda Carbajal, who Serrano was supposed to fight on that Jake Paul card that got canceled. So that happened back in 2020. So in a way, this is kind of a step-up fight from who Serrano was going to fight. I did look back at a few of Mafood's more recent fights, she moves her feet a lot, but her work rate is not like super high. And there was a lot of kind of like basic one twos with the movement for the most part. She has some other wrinkles in there too, but I saw a good amount of, that's what I saw a good amount of. I think that Serrano is going to be looking to make a statement after that loss. I think that she's going to be feeling a lot better physically going back down to her normal weight. And I think she's just going to overwhelm a food with her activity. I won't be surprised we went to decision, but I think that because of the context of this and her wanting to make a statement, I could see maybe a ninth round stoppage. Yeah, it'll be, this will be an interesting one. Mata Serrano, she's like, just this, she's, she's legendary career in the making. I mean, I think she's fought in like, I don't know how many weight classes, just collecting titles. Um, and she can, and, and the interesting about her is, she is, you know, she's a small person that can move up and fight the likes of, of a Katie Taylor. And pretty much in some, a lot of people's eyes, she beat Katie Taylor uh, and then get the, uh, the, the decision. Um, she's like a whirlwind, you know, throws lots of punches, can box also, uh, just has this, this, this presence and force. My food, she, has, she brings an authoritative uh, jab. She, has, she also has constant footwork. It's, it's interesting footwork that she has. She can box. The problem, I think, is, is that she kind of comes in when she jabs. She comes in in a, in a straight line when she jabs, and it leaves her open to get caught. So I, I think that Serrano is going to have a lot of opportunities to, to catch up to Bafu. I think Serrano is going to bring a lot of pressure. I'm not sure if Serrano is going to stop Bafu. I have her winning a decision based off ring generalship, cutting off the ring, and throwing a lot of volume and uh, landing more combinations. Yeah, I think that uh, this is going to be another belt that uh, Serrano is going to, you know, put around her waist against Sarah Mafoud. Yeah, she's, she's 33 years old. She's a softball, 65 and a half inch reach. She has those, this, this fight is going to be for four belts. Serrano's 42, two one with 30 devastating KOs and she's fighting an opponent who's 32 with three KOs 
fight will take place in the UK. I think that this fight right here is um, is good for Serrano for various reasons, right? So she can collect another belt, you know, add another strap to her collection. And then it can kind of build the rematch even more if they have, if she faces Katie Taylor in the future, because it'll, it'll, she, and then also not only is it building the rematch, but she's also getting acclimated to the UK. So if they have to have a fight over there, then she'll already, you know, have some semblance of, uh, you know, how things work over there and what to do if she's uh, coming back there later on for that rematch. I think the only thing in this fight, the only question is, I don't think it's a question of her winning, it's a question of will she get the stoppage? And when I look at my food, the fights that I've seen, I can't see her making it all 10 against somebody with 30 KOs who punches as hard as Serrano um, because the key thing that she does, she leaves her chin open too much. And she, she has her head up in the air when she's throwing her punches. And then she, and unless she's working on um, that, like once she finishes up some of her exchanges, her head is right there in the air. And then that's, that's just a no-no in boxing. And I think that she hasn't faced anybody who punches in a devastating fashion as Serrano. Serrano can rearrange her looks. You know, she can perform like surgery on you, um, but not a good surgery that you would want to have. Like she would reconstruct your whole, your whole joint. So in this fight, I see that happening. I don't see, it's either gonna be the fact that she's gonna get knocked out or they're gonna stop the fight because she's getting beat on too much by such a powerful puncher. I think I'll have it an eighth round uh, stoppage for Amanda Serrano. Uh, the last thing that I do want to say, and Bill says, I say I say that a lot. You know, I apologize if I do to the listeners, but I want to shout out to the zone because they have some of the, you know, not only do they have the best female fighters, they have some of the prettiest. You know, I saw Jessica McCaskill yesterday. You know, shout out to her. Shout out Jessica. I want to shout out Alicia Baumgartner. You know what I mean? She fights, you know, on that network. And then also, you know, Kate Abdo, you know, who does some of the announcing. So shout out to you, the zone, you know, keep up the good work. Um, and then my main man, Sean Porter, you know, that outfit that you had on yesterday, I normally don't, don't, don't say this, but throw it away. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and when I say throw it away, I'm talking about each and every part, the vests, the shoes, you know, all of them. But that's all I have. But shout out to you, Showtime Boy. Man, I never thought I'd see some irises with a suit. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> he overthought that one, I think. Shout out to him, though. Yeah, shout out, shout out to Showtime. Bro. You guys have anything else, man? I think we did what we had to do. Um, but also, you know, what I do want to say is this, though, Danny, you know, if you, do me a favor, man. Plug that YouTube station that you got and then that podcast because, you know, you're doing some really good work over there. For sure, man, and I appreciate you. Yeah, so I, I've talked about it a few episodes before, but I'm now trying to do more video with my Monarch podcast. Uh, the Monarch podcast is under my brand, the Monarch brand, and we really just try to talk about not just business, but everything involving business, the mindset of it, uh, you know, uh, when it goes well, when it goes bad, just for anybody that may want to listen to stories or anybody that maybe wanting to start a business of their own, you know, it's for all of those across the board. And we also try to touch on 
community and a need for that and and anything under that sun, mental health, self-care, any of those things. And so uh, the third episode is now up on YouTube. If you search for the Monarch brand, you'll find it. Unfortunately, it's not like a super clean hyperlink that I could just say youtube.com slash whatever. But if you search for the Monarch brand, it'll be on there. But there's a lot more episodes to come. Uh, I have probably about 20 guests that I'm going to interview with just a matter of having the time to do so. But a lot of good content coming to that channel. So appreciate you guys. Yes, sir. That sound, it sounds awesome, man. It sounds much needed, you know, as far as some of the discussions that you are having. You know, I, I really, you know, like to hear, you know, young brothers talking about mental health, talking about, you know, businesses and starting up businesses. And, and like you say, the mentality that, that goes into it, you know what I mean? Some of the do's and don'ts, you know, because you can get a, a lot out of that and we don't have enough of that, you know, floating around here on YouTube or TV. So, you know, shout out to you for that. But uh, yeah, yes, sir. Yeah, it's, it's a good episode. Anything else you guys got in closing? No, sir. Nope, that's it. Good, good episode, fellas. Good talk. Yes, sir. Catch you next week. We out. Peace. Peace. Peace.